Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. Happy Juneteenth, everyone. Yay, yay, yay. Very, uh, very excited to be recognizing that um, tomorrow. Uh, just as a, a quick, uh, we, we already heard a little bit of this, but as a quick uh, refresher on the timeline for those of you joining us from outside of the United States. Um, so from 1619 to 1863, there were countless enslaved people self-emancipating, uh, including tens of thousands of people, uh, of enslaved people joining the Union Army. So, so like, uh, when we're talking about emancipation, we, it's worth noting that people were self-emancipating for centuries before it, like, kind of became an official rule, right? Like, that, this, like, people were taking control, uh, of their own lives, uh, in a system that was seeking to destroy them. And, uh, so I want to recognize that. And then on, uh, uh, January 1st, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation that says enslaved people are and henceforward shall be free. Um, and then uh, amazingly, uh, an amazing delay on this, uh, June 19th, 1865, so just think of how long that took, uh, Major General Gordon Granger issues an order proclaiming enslaved people free in Texas. And so that's kind of like when it, like, uh, we're talking about Galveston and um, all that. And then in December 6, 1865, was when the 13th Amendment was ratified. So here's a, a little timeline on how some of that uh, played out. I do think it's worth um, acknowledging that the 13th Amendment, a lot of times we're thinking like the 13th Amendment is like when we got rid of slavery. And that's uh, mostly true, but let's take a quick visit at the 13th Amendment as we get into our sermon for today. So the 13th Amendment says, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as punishment for crime where, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Now, what word especially sticks out to you from this reading? <laughs> The th so the 13th Amendment says we shouldn't have slavery, and then there's a, a clause that says accept. That's kind of a funny, weird thing, isn't it? That, that slavery is like a bad thing, and then as we're saying that slavery is a bad thing, there's that little word that says accept in it. And, uh, and so this, this Juneteenth, my Juneteenth wish is that we could just get rid of this whole little middle part because uh, uh, we're, slavery is bad and slavery should be something that we don't make exceptions around. We should just say, we're not gonna have slavery. And uh, uh, some states have already taken some lead in doing this. Five states, including Colorado, Vermont, have um, stricken this from their state constitution. Yay, yay, yay. It is still on the books in the Minnesota constitution. And many states say, like, um, the reason why we're not removing the language is because it's already, like, um, there's already other laws that have followed that that guarantee that that kind of won't happen. And I'm just like, listen... Earlier this year, we did a, a sermon series on Marie Kondo, and I'm like, if, I think we need to learn to let go of something that doesn't spark joy anymore. So like, just because you, you made something obsolete doesn't mean that you shouldn't get rid of it. So let's just go ahead and, and send it forward, like release it from our hands, and uh, make space. So, so uh, that is my Juneteenth 
uh, wish for this. And the reason why all of this has to do with the gospel and God and, <laughs> and why we're people of faith talking about this is because um, we're, we believe that we're worshiping a God who like, is making all things free, like all living beings are liberated through God's love. And when we, are, uh, when we enact liberation in our world, we're becoming a little bit more like God's love. And the whole point of everything that we're doing here is to become a little bit more like God's love. And so like, that is you know, from like day-to-day habits, that's in your relationships, but that should certainly also be true in the state house and in the capital. Like that should absolutely be true in our constitution. Um, and so, uh, so, you know, let's just uh, keep praying this into reality, shall we? Yeah, amen, amen. And especially since this week, you know, with Father's Day and Juneteenth, I've been thinking a lot about um, fathers throughout uh, the United States and and kind of like different life situations of fathers. And I'm especially thinking of re-entering citizens today. Today I'm thinking about people, uh, re-entering citizens are people who served time in a jail or prison and now are like re-entering society after time in prison. And the question is, like, can Ezra offer guidance for re-entering citizens? Like, as we're observing Juneteenth, as we're observing Father's Day, is there biblical knowledge to be gained for people who are transitioning back to society? This is an especially relevant question because um, the Department of Justice uh, said that in 2021, one out of 299 male American citizens are incarcerated one out of 299 male American citizens are incarcerated, says the Department of Justice. And, um, and that's not even, you know, like that's like DOJ stuff. So that's not even looking at like um, non-binary folks or trans folks or like folks who don't identify as male. Like that's just like looking at uh, one particular subsect. I, like, I don't know how many Facebook friends you have or how many followers you have on TikTok. I'm trying to be relevant. Or how many likes you have on... So, uh, but 300 is like not that many. And so, uh, so if you have, uh, uh, you know, one out of 300 people in America are incarcerated, like it's something for us to really be bringing our attention to. Yeah, you feeling me, your vibes? And I do, I do think that it's worth naming that like Ezra uh, has, speaks a lot of truth about uh, people re-entering society, but it's probably not um, entirely okay to say like uh, society in 539 BCE Babylon is directly one-to-one comparable to 2023 U.S. incarceration system. So, like, uh, and we have some, we have a a New Testament scholar in the room today, so I just want to be clear. I'm showing my receipts, okay? I'm not saying that these are one-to-one things, but if we're simply looking at people who were in one place and then they were taken kind of involuntarily to another place, and then those folks came back to the place, then Ezra has a lot to offer. And I guess I should also uh, offer a a content warning that this sermon is gonna be talking a lot about a lot of themes of incarceration and a lot of themes of of what it means to be um, 
at home or re-entering home. And I know that for some folks that might kind of strike a, a chord or might strike a nerve. So as always with New City Church, I want to encourage you, if you're feeling triggered by a particular thing, feel free to stand up in the back and, and move your body a little bit, grab some water, uh, take a look outside and let nature kind of ground you. Do what you got to do to take care of yourself. And can we just like collectively show snaps that it's totally fine if people need to do things or whatever, like just do what you got to do. Um, and so, like, as a little bit of uh, recap, Ezra is uh, looking at this story where there were Israelite folks and then they were sent to exile, as in, like, there was a military that brought them and took them into another place. And then the king of, that, uh, of the land that they were exiled to gave them permission to return back to their homeland and even funded the trip. And so, like, Ezra is looking at, like, this return exodus back home and uh the first person we have the first kind of leader that's acknowledged in ezra is named zerubbabel say that three times fast ready zerubbabel 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 <laughs> yeah now you'll remember it forever so zerubbabel was um one of these leaders who came back uh and and you know they started like like last week we talked about they were recognizing sacred festivals that their people haven't been able to recognize for a long time. They're starting some conversations about rebuilding the temple. People were moving in, like all of this stuff was happening as they were establishing their home. And then we have a really difficult conversation. And that's a conversation between Zerubbabel and the people of the land. A little bit of background. So like a lot of the Israelites were sent out to exile, but not everyone was sent out to exile. So there were some folks who stayed there, present on the land. And one of the big social rifts in, at the time was people who stayed there versus people who left, and like, or, or who were taken away, rather. And so like, there's some tension there. And we have this really uncomfortable scene where basically Zerubbabel is like, hi, I'm back. <laughs> And, uh, and the people of the land are like, cool, um, so we actually never left. Can we help you rebuild the temple? And you saw in the scripture, right? Like, we worship the same God. We've been doing the same thing. Like, maybe there's some kinship that we can have here. And Zerubbabel and the leader says, no, because the king said, no, like, it has to be us. Spoiler alert, the king did not say that. Uh, we actually have, in, in the first chapter, we read through the edict that King Cyrus said releasing them back, and the edict does not say that only Zerubbabel can have ownership of this project. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, the king wasn't like, uh, uh, only you can rebuild the temple. He just said, go back to your land and rebuild the temple with kind of whatever you need. So, like... There's a certain character read that we have to lean into here. Like, what is going on in Zerubbabel's head that, like, all of a sudden there's this, like, kind of cagey ownership when, when there are people offering to help? Like, what's going on as he's re-entering? Um, and then uh, <laughs> the people of the land were nonplussed. Uh, by that and and then said well if you're gonna make it that way then I'm gonna make you wish you say that you didn't that you didn't reject our help and so then they're feeling a certain kind of way and they like you said frustrated all of their plans and made it really hard for the people who said that they wanted to take ownership of the temple to actually build the temple um, so we got a messy little scene here. Do you see the, <laughs> like, this is not just like a, uh, oh, 
Uh, in the Bible, we talk about people making the most virtuous decisions, doing the most virtual, holy thing that you'll never be able to relate to. Nah, this is as messy as your most recent conversation with your roommate, where it's like, yeah, there's feelings. Yeah, there's kind of a breakup, re-coming back together thing. Like, there's kind of a messiness here where both parties are kind of wrong, but, like, both parties are kind of right as well. So there, there's some messiness or some tension here. And what we can learn from this, uh, this conversation is that some, ooh, whoa, is that Jesus, Jesus is like, Tyler, wrap it up. Okay, so <laughs> bless the Lord. So what we can learn from this conversation is that sometimes we punch at enemies that aren't in the room and whoever's in front of us gets hit. What we're learning from Zerubbabel is like, sometimes we're fighting the folks who are not in front of us anymore, and just kind of whoever happens to be talking to us gets hit by it. Uh-oh, this is where the mess comes in, right? Because our bodies are giving us energy to correct something, but if you're talking to the wrong person about the thing that's making you all triggered in the first place, then you're not actually like tidying things up. And that's when, when hurt people start hurting people. How much of toxic masculinity is simply because the toxicity of capitalism practicing brutality on men who are bringing that home? You know, like how much of, how much of, uh, of infighting within our relationships, within our neighbors, is simply because other people have hurt us and we can't hurt them back, and so now we're trying to process out with that. How many people at New City Church are like, the safe friend who gets the brunt of everyone's emotions because they're the ones who can actually like talk through things and, and be a safe place and a listening ear. Like we, I see this dynamic all the time. I see this dynamic all the time. Divorced parents where one parent is uh, not so safe and one parent is safe and the kids take out their aggression on the safe parent because the unsafe parent will respond explosively. Like I see this all the time. And this is what we're witnessing in the text here, not on an interpersonal level, but on a social level, on a society level. Like what happens when the trauma of a society is so deeply felt that they start punching at the folks in front of them on a social group to social group level? We got real issues here. We got some real messiness here. And I wanna name that this is, uh, this is really hard uh, for folks in general, but this is especially hard for reentry, uh, for people who are reentering because they've been deeply brutalized by a system that they can't uh, enact, that they can't complete the cycle of their anger against that system. And so then they're coming home and they're trying to like negotiate relationships while having these hugely traumatic experiences. I talk to people, um, you know, I was a prison chaplain for a second, and I talked to people who, uh, uh, were, it was like their third time back into prison, and what they told me was like, one of the hardest things is that when you're in prison, the world keeps turning, and, and then you get out and you're back, and things are just different and, and changed, and you didn't get to choose that change, it's just different. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of the struggle that we're talking about here, the tension of like, this was taken from me, and now what am I supposed to do with all these feelings? Like, what am I supposed to do with all this anger? And, and a lot of times the people who are most directly in front of us get the brunt of that. I also want to name that reentry is hard because we're paying incarcerated people pennies on the hour for their labor, 
and uh, you know, like if, if folks were who like were setting to work, like if we're forcing folks in jails to work and they're not getting paid what a minimum wage would be in the rest of society and they're punished, they're physically punished if they can't leave, that doesn't really sound like a job. It sounds a little bit like slavery. It sounds a little bit like what the 13th Amendment, the thing that everyone said was obsolete, uh, is, is, actually, <laughs> is actually still alive. Okay. Uh, so, like, there's a lot of things that we can do th to make reentry easier. And some of them are emotional and some of them are financial. But the point is that, like, the Bible is speaking about this messy reentry point where people aren't totally sure what to do with all the big feelings that they have. You vibing with me? You picking up what I'm throwing down? Yeah. So, um,. So we can look to land for the solution of this, right? Like we can look to creation to help understand a little bit of how we're supposed to address this. Um, yesterday, some folks from New City and some from folks from Walker Church had a building day. And so we came and did uh, different projects around the building. I don't know if you noticed our new rainbow flag. Yes, yes, yes. And, uh, and um, one of the big projects was we have a, a rain garden right here out front. And a lot of the, um, the rain garden was taken over by weeds and like volunteer trees. And, and I think like there was, there was a powerful metaphor happening as we we're trying to restore this rain garden. Rain gardens are like filled with plants so that when, um, when it rains really heavily, the plants can absorb the water instead of sending it into the uh, runoff system that overwhelms the system. So like uh, rain gardens are really helpful and really good. And it's not that those weeds are bad plants or shameful things. It's just that they had to be removed in order for this space to be able to flourish and do exactly what it wanted to do. We had to weed out uh, the rain garden. And something that I learned about weeds that is also true about the human heart and the soul is that we have to pull up weeds by the root. Now we have to pull up weeds by the root, which is way harder than simply cutting off the top. Uh, it's way harder to have to reach all the way down, see how far down this goes, and to struggle, straining your back, engaging your shoulders as you're pulling up the weed. But it's the only way forward. It's the only way that our rain garden will be able to flourish and do what it needs to do. And what I'm asking you to do today is to look at all the big feelings in your life that is driving all this conflict in your life and seeing what weeds have what roots that need to be pulled up. That like what big uh, sources of anger, conflict, discord, um, unpeace is happening in your life and and how can you reach down all the way down, all the way to, this, to the wound and start uh, pulling up that emotion from its base? Because it's not fair for the people who happen to be in front of you to absorb the aggression in your life. Your body is giving you anger to resolve something or to change something, and you have to use that anger to reach down and actually address what's the actual issue here. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, like a lot of times we um, uh, feel anger, and it's so uncomfortable that we just kind of want to like feel better, and so we lash out at whoever happens to be in front of us. But that's not fair. 
the anger, the sacred purpose of anger is rather to create change against the thing that is uh, uh, harming you. And that's usually a lot harder. And so like in this conversation with Zerubbabel and the people of the land, I would rather it have been like, hey, I'm back. I'm feeling excited, mad, and sad all the t at the same time, which we actually know from Ezra 3. That's understandable, the people of the land could have said. Do you need anything, like help with the temple? Yeah, give me three days. I need time to myself, and I'll loop back, and I promise. And then he actually does loop back. And then that person says, you got it. I'm here when you're ready. This is how to get to the root, y'all. This is how to reach down. This is not touchy-feely like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we just all said, no, no, no. We're trying to weed out the garden here. We're trying to set up our lives for flourishing. And in order to do that, we have to name the thing. And so right off the bat, we have Zerubbabel saying, I am excited, mad, and sad all at the same time, naming all of the feelings that are bringing charge into the room, right? Like so much of the research says that if you can name the feeling, then the power of that feeling reduces by so much. Um, people of the land offering some mirroring empathy, like, yeah, that's understandable. Do you need anything like help with the temple, like offering a a path of relationship. There's Zerubbabel saying, like, I'm actually not in a place where I can be around people safely right now, so I'm gonna use a container strategy that says, like, I need this amount of time and then I will initiate, reinitiate the relationship. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is like such an important strategy for folks, especially folks who have a lot of big feelings where it's like, sometimes I, I can't safely talk to folks when I'm feeling real hot into it. So like, just give me an amount of time to be able to deal with this. But my end of the bargain is that I will reapproach you on it. So do you see the dynamic there? Because if, if this, if Zerubbabel is like, I need to use my container strategy to get out of here. And then, and then it's the other person's job to reinitiate. Then that gets into this whole weird cycle that, uh, that can really cause problems. And so really saying like, I will take responsibility for re-engaging the relationship. And then, uh, and then the people of the land respecting the boundary and saying like, yeah, it sounds like that's what you need and I'm gonna, I'm gonna be here when, when that's ready. Like Ezra would have been such a more uh, tidy book if, if this is what the conversation could have been. You know, like, like the history of these folks could have been so different. And I know that sometimes when we're talking about these emotions, it can be, um, it can feel so inconsequential or like, yeah, I, I, you know, I know that this is like something I should work on, but it's like harder to think of the big social impacts of this. But I want to be clear that it took the temple uh, at least 18 years to build. It took the temple 18 years to build because of the animosity between these two groups of people. And so just imagine all of the projects that could have been done in that 18 years if people were able to collaborate together. Like imagine how much was lost by sacrificing the relationship between these groups of people. And so like it's, it's not just about like playing nice with folks. It's about creating a world that is moving as fast as the Holy Spirit. 
It's about naming, like, I, I want my life to flourish like a rain garden, and that means that I have to, like, uproot some of the hard things and confront some of the hard things in my life. It means going to our politicians and say, like, it's time to have the hard conversation because we have to be able to move forward on this. It's, it's, a, it's a spiral, it's a vector on every scale, what we're learning from Ezra. And it's especially true for dads who are re-entering society. So um, I, I just want to offer like this good news that God is a God who will see us through this. That God is a God of deep love, of deep resource, that however hard it is to weed out all the things in your life, God is right there with you, ready to pour out love, peace, and blessing on you. The land itself is a testament to the hope available to you from God. And you are a powerful person created by a powerful God who can change the world. Let's do it together. Amen? Amen. <laughs>